Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. Beginning in verse 11. I want to continue our look at this new section, if you will, that begins in chapter 5, verse 11, and runs through chapter 6, verse 12. It's all one thought, all one, uh, one, all one thought together here. And as you know, this section, as I told you, is one of the most debated passages of all Scripture. And the primary message of this passage is spiritual maturity. However, how you interpret this passage will largely be dependent upon to whom you believe this passage is written to. For example, if you see the book of Hebrews, this passage specifically written to believers, and you see it throughout the entire epistle, then the thrust of this passage will be about growing up or maturing uh, as a believer. If, on the other hand, you believe this passage is primarily to unbelievers, as I do, then the thrust of this passage is not so much about growing up in maturity, but rather is more evangelistic in scope and in purpose. And I hope to be able to show you why, over the next few weeks, why this is important. Now, the audience, just to remind you here again, to whom this epistle is written, is a small Jewish church that uh, has been in existence for a while, and it's filled with really three types of people. There are true believers who have come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, doing their best to live that out. They have accepted by faith, surrendered their life. They recognize the Lord Jesus Christ, again, as their Lord and Savior. They're trying to live that out. They are facing immense persecution as well, but that's part of who's in this group is this, are these true believers. The second group are those who are professing believers. They have at one point in time made a profession in Christ, but never totally surrendered to Christ. They have a lot of head knowledge about who Jesus is, but they never really surrendered their heart to him as well. And then the third part, the third group in this little church are the unsaved. What is the difference between the true believer and a professing believer? A true believer has surrendered their life to Christ, based their salvation on Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, and nothing else, which the author of Hebrews will talk about much later and in greater depth as we walk through this epistle. A professing believer, on the other hand, has professed Christ, but never truly surrendered their lives to Christ. They are still unsaved. They have made a profession of Christ, but never truly surrendered their heart. That's the group that we talk about in Matthew 7. Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? And remember what Jesus said to them, depart from me, I never knew you, right? I never knew you. Uh, they know a lot about Jesus, but they do not know him. And as Matthew 7 tells us, Jesus knows about them. Of course he does. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows about them as well, but he does not know them as his own. That's who this author of Hebrews has been trying to really get their attention. He's trying to warn them. He's trying to let them know that you're in very serious danger. And so that's the primary audience that he's writing to. And then remember, again, this group here of professing uh, believers here and the true believers are under immense pressure in their community. What kind of pressure? Well, it's a relentless pressure 
They're getting it from the rabbis. They're getting it from the marketplace. They're kicked out of the synagogue. They can't have their children attend rabbinical school. They're feeling it everywhere they turn. And uh, many, so much, they're facing so much persecution that many of those who had professed their faith in Christ under this immense pressure are thinking about falling away, falling back to Judaism. This is the group the author is speaking to primarily throughout this epistle. He's been constantly reminding them that what they have in Jesus Christ in this new covenant is far superior far better than anything they had in the Old Covenant. Remember, he's been walking them through from the very beginning. And what is the theme of, of Hebrews? Christ is better. If you want to sum it up, Christ is better. And so he's said already, right? Christ is better than the prophets. Christ is better than the angels, right? Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better, better than Joshua. Christ is better now than Aaron. And he just keeps walking through every component of their old covenant and saying, here's what you had, but what you had was just a shadow of what was to come. And what has, was to come has been here. It's Jesus Christ. He is your Messiah, and he's brought with him a new covenant through his atoning work on the cross. Those that have embraced that are flourishing. Those who have not are struggling. He's trying to really kind of pinpoint that. Remember, there's already been a couple of warnings. This is, we're heading into our third one here. The first warning was in chapter two. Again, don't let your ship of life sail right on past the harbor of salvation, right? Don't get so caught up in your life. Don't think that you are, uh, you know, get so busy, so distracted that you miss God's gracious offer of salvation. The second warning we found Remember, you could see that in chapter 2, verse 3, incidentally, that first warning. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Then the second warning we found in chapter 3, don't harden your hearts and miss God's rest. And the author of Hebrews then took us through many Old Testament passages, showing us all the way back that God's gracious offer of his rest, which is his salvation, has been available to them. And so he's been walking them through that, and it's been available to them from the very beginning, and it's still available today for those who will repent and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Who are these warning passages directed to? Well, they're not to those who are already saved. Those people have not missed the harbor of salvation. Secondly, they have not missed God's rest. They are a part of God's rest. So he's not speaking to those who are already saved. No, his target is for those who are professing believers to come and receive Christ. Come and receive Christ. And since the first two warnings are to professing believers, it's reasonable to assume that the attendant audience of this third warning is the very same audience, and indeed I think it is. This group has come close They've come right up to the edge of salvation. They think that it's, they, they can make that next step, but for whatever reason, they just can't get over it. Maybe it, was, maybe it was the issue of the prophets. Maybe it was the issue of the angels. Maybe it was the issue of Moses. Perhaps it was, who's going to be the high priest? We need somebody to reconcile us with God. Whatever that issue was, they've come right up to the edge, but have never taken that final step where they surrender their life to Christ. And that is who the author of Hebrews is speaking to. He wants to warn them again throughout. He's, he's teaching them and warning them. 
And so the author pauses right in the middle of his message. He's, he's been talking about why Christ is in a greater priesthood than Aaron. Remember, he's in the priesthood of Melchizedek. And he's in the middle of explaining all that, and he just kind of like stops. Have you ever been talking to somebody, and then all of a sudden you kind of just see that glazed look on their face? I kind of see it right now. They're, uh, this kind of glazed look on their face like, hello, hello. That's almost what the author of Hebrews is doing here, right? He's speaking, and he's talking about really deep theological things about Melchizedek and the higher priesthood, and he can just tell, Oof, for some of the group, it's just kind of whistling through there, and nothing's sticking. So he stops, and he issues this third warning. And here's this third warning. If you're not growing, there's a big spiritual problem with very dire consequences. If you're not growing, very big spiritual problem with very dire consequences. He wants them to know that there are very dire consequences for falling away from the gospel truth that they have been repeatedly exposed to. Remember, these are not new believers. These are folks who believe they're saved. These are folks who have made a profession at some point in time, five, six years ago, eight years ago, who are coming to church, who are gathering together. But the author of Hebrews knows they've only made a profession. There's something missing here. There's something missing. And so he's warning them. So again, this is not a passage about growing in maturity for believers. This is a passage about receiving Christ before they suffer the dire consequences of never fully committing to and receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what our passage is about. That's the audience that he speaks to. And again, that begins in verse 11. Let's take a moment, shall we? And just ask the Lord to bless our time together in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for your grace upon grace upon grace in our lives. And Lord, thank you for your long-suffering. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Father, that we fall short many, many times. Thank you, Lord, for never leaving us nor forsaking us. Father, I pray that you'd be with us in this hour as we walk through this text here and finish off this section. Lord, that you would prick our hearts. You would challenge us here today. If there's any in our midst, Lord, who do not know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would surrender their life to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So look at verse 11. Again, remind ourselves. He says, concerning, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. What's he saying here? He's saying, you're not ready to grasp all these deep theological truths that you need to understand so that you will not fall away. Why are they not able to do that? He says, he tells them, because you become dull of hearing. That word dull, nothros in the Greek, means lazy, sluggish, lethargic, might be another word there. But notice that they were not always that way. They have what? Become lazy in their hearing. How do you become lazy in your hearing? Remember I told you this last week, you stop applying those truths of Scripture in your life. You want to become lazy and sluggish in the Scripture? Then just read the Scriptures. Just keep showing up every Sunday. Just keep you know, listening, kind of taking it all in, but never applying it to your life. The Bible calls that dull of hearing. You're hearing God's Word. 
you're hearing God's word, but you're never applying it to your life. These professing Christians had heard the truths of the gospel again and again and again, and for whatever reason now, they've stopped applying those truths to their life. In other words, they had all kinds of knowledge about Jesus, but they still have not received him as their Lord and Savior. They had at one time been enlightened, as we'll see in chapter 6. Someone had shared the truth of God's word with them, shared the gospel message with them. But just because I understand who Jesus is does not mean that I'm saved. Lots of people know who Jesus is. Even the demons know who Jesus is, and they are certainly not saved. If simple head knowledge about Jesus were the only requirement for salvation, then we have a lot of saved people who have no interest in spiritual things. They have no desire to be in God's word. They have no desire to humble themselves in prayer. They have no desire to gather together and to worship God. They have no desire to be around God's people. And incidentally, every one of those, the Bible tells us, are the marks of a true believer. So if we could be saved just by knowing about Jesus, then there are a lot more people saved that are in contradiction to what the Bible says a saved person looks like, acts like. The author of Hebrews is saying to these professing Christians, that's you. He's saying, that's you, my friends. That's you. You're coming here every week, showing up, and you're not applying these truths anymore to your life. You keep coming in here every, every week, and you're going through the motions. You call yourself a Christian. You, you, you talk like a Christian. You you." dress, whatever that looks like, a Christian. You, you might even have some Jesus gear in your closet, but you have are not a true believer. And the reason is, is because you have all kinds of head knowledge, but you've never taken that from your head to your heart. And that's a necessary step in salvation. It has to go from our head to our hearts. What would have been the next step would have been salvation. But that came to a screeching halt because he says to them, you've become lazy. You quit applying those truths to your life. In fact, he says, by now, you should be teachers. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Instead of being teachers, he says, you need to go back and have someone teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. That elementary means the ABCs. He's saying, forget about advanced teaching here. You've forgotten even the alphabet. That's how far you have fallen. He's saying, not only are you not growing in your faith, since the moment you profess Christ, you seem to be going backwards. You know, a lot of people think that you can tread water as a Christian. You can kind of get to a point like, whoo, I'm saved. Now I'll just kind of tread water here for a little bit. It'll be good. I don't really have to apply myself too much here. And I'm not going to fall back. But the Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says, listen, there's no such thing as treading water spiritually. You're either moving forward and growing, walking in the Spirit or you're not. There is no in-between. 
You're either walking in the Spirit or you're not. One's called walking in the Spirit, one's called walking in the flesh, and you cannot do the same, those two things at the same time. So you're either moving forward, walking in the Spirit, or yielding to the leading of the Spirit in your life, or you're not. There's no such thing as spiritually treading water, moving forward or not. Now, what are these elementary principles he's referring to? He's not referring to the basics of the Christian faith, or the author would not be telling him to leave those behind in chapter 6, verse 1. He's referring to their elementary teachings of the Old Testament, which, as Jews, they should have already understood. That's why he calls them elementary. Remember, parents would have been taking their children and, and reading Scripture to them, right? The father's would have been taking scriptures, reading them, right? Morning, afternoon, and night. And as things occurred, as they were working together, primarily in a uh, farming community, he would be saying, right? My son, look at, the, look at the sun today. Look what God has provided. Look how God causes our crops to grow. Look at how God brought the rain here. Right? He would be explaining the world through the lens of God's word. And then they would have to memorize scripture, typically by the time... A young male was 12 years old. They could recite the first five books of the Old Testament by memory. I have a hard time remembering my address now. It's hard for me to think that I could memorize five books of the Old Testament, but by age 12, that's what was going on. He's telling them they need to move beyond their basic understanding of that Old Testament truth to a more mature understanding of the New Testament truth. They heard these wonderful truths, they accepted them for a while, but then they ceased to apply them to their life. And thus, instead of growing in grace and knowledge, they've actually went backwards. How far backwards have they went? Look at verse 13. They've fallen so far backwards that they're actually considering falling all the way back to that from which they were saved. Judaism. That's how far. Look at verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. So the author of Hebrews just gets done telling them that they have come to need milk and not solid food. Apparently, they felt they needed more milk. So in other words, this group is telling the author of Hebrews... You know, I would make that decision for Christ if you would just go through and show me again in the Old Testament. Show me again. Uh, show me in the law again how this is going to be. Show me in the Psalm. Show me in the wisdom writing. Show me in the old prophets. Can we go? Can we rehash that one more time? Can we go over that? The author of Hebrews states that that's what they really need is not more rehashing of the Old Covenant. What they really need to do is take the new covenant and start applying it to their life. That's what the head needs to do. They need solid food. And in this context, that solid food means they need a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what that means to them now. All of the benefits of what it means that Jesus is their Messiah. All of the benefits of salvation, all of the inherited riches, all of the, all of the benefits they get from the Father, the, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the access to God in prayer at any time. Remember chapter 4, 15 and 16, that they can now approach the throne of grace, how? With confidence, boldly. 
and find mercy and receive grace, right? Find grace, receive mercy. When? In their time of need. They never had that kind of access. That was once a year where the high priest would walk in there. Now, so the author of Hebrews is saying, you have all of this, and you're willing to walk away from that and go back to that. I don't understand it. Notice those words, not accustomed to, in verse 13. That word means unskillful or a lack of experience. And so here, the author points to their lack of experience in the word of righteousness. What does that word of righteousness, what does that phrase mean? Here it means Christ and the gospel, his saving message of redemption that leads to salvation. How can a true believer be lacking in righteousness? Is it possible for a true believer to be lacking any experience at all in righteousness? No. Those who are in Christ have been declared righteous at the moment of their salvation. So positionally, they're already declared righteous, or they have a right standing before God, not based on anything they've done, but because of what Christ has done being credited to them. So I ask again, can a true believer lack any experience in the word of righteousness? Can we look at a true believer and say, there's no aspect of righteousness in your life at all? No, you cannot. You cannot be a Christian and have zero experience with righteousness because positionally you've already been declared righteous. Are you following me? In fact, if you do not have experience in righteousness, the author of Hebrews says that you're a baby. You're an infant, as a matter of fact. He says you're a spiritual baby. And it's important to understand that term because it causes many to misunderstand this passage. That word that's used here is called nepios, and that word means immature or foolish or simple-minded, that word infant. You might have infant, you might have babe, you might have baby. That word means immature, simple-minded, or foolish. It's often referred to being childlike or demonstrating childlike behavior. And that's how it's used. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Because I just want to show you a couple passages where this is used. Romans chapter 2, verse 19. He says here, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, there's our word, nepios, Having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that want you not steal, do you steal? That is our word again, nepios. And you notice in chapter 2, he is speaking uh, to unbelievers. Okay, Speaking to unbelievers about immaturity. Okay, That's our word. Later in Galatians 4, he speaks to believers and he uses that same word. Okay, Galatians 4, verse 3. We're not going to go there yet. We're going to go somewhere else. But you can mark that down. Look that up for yourself. Same word again used in Galatians 4, verse 3. But there he's talking to believers. So we have one instance where the word is used for unbelievers, another where it's used for believers. Both times it means immature or childlike, foolish. 
So in the Romans passage, again, he's talking unbelievers, Galatians, believers. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because here we have Paul talking to believers, and he uses this same word again. Notice here, he's speaking to believers that are carnal. What does that mean? Of the flesh, right? Of the flesh or acting fleshly. These are not new believers, incidentally. A lot of people think that carnal believers are new believers, but the folks that Paul is talking to in 1 Corinthians have been believers for six years. Six years. These are not new believers. They're carnal believers. Uh, but notice the difference between this passage and our passage in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13, is that, uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, that's carnal, as to what? Infants, that's our word, nepios. But notice, there's a little qualifier here. They're infants in Christ. See that? They're infants in Christ. We don't see that in our Hebrews passage at all. One more example, and then we'll move on. Turn to Ephesians, as we're working our way up back to Hebrews. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 13, he says, until we all attain, right, this very familiar passage, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, as a result, we are no longer to be Children. Now, here, Paul uses a different word. This is a word in Greek called technon, and it means child or infant. So he's talking about a little person or a little baby, a little, little child. It does refer to Christians in this passage, but he uses a completely different word. So sometimes the word baby, infant, or child is applied to believers in the New Testament. Other times it's not. Sometimes the authors use a completely different word to express that. What's the point of all that, Pastor Ron? Well, here's the point. Just because we see words like baby, infant, and child doesn't mean he's always talking about believers. Sometimes he's talking about unbelievers as well. And that certainly applies to our passage back in Hebrews chapter 5, where we see here again, the context is referring to those who have not made a profession of faith or surrendered their life to him. They are trusting in the elementary understanding of the Old Covenant as their basis of faith instead of trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are in danger spiritually because they're immature. They're foolish. They're thinking childlike. And they are not saved. Matter of fact, they're in so much spiritual danger that in the next chapter, he's going to warn them about being lost eternally if they do not respond to the gospel. Now, in contrast to the immature, back in your text, verse 14, instead of relying on the Old Testament to save them, the author of Hebrews introduces us to those who are mature. Verse 14, But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So note first that solid food is for whom? The mature, right? That word mature is the word teleon, which means adult or perfect. You notice how he's contrasting two things. 
He's saying, you who are still linked to the old covenant, you're spiritual babies. You can't choose solid food yet, which would be your understanding of the new covenant, because you can't get past the milk that you need of the basic understanding of the old covenant. And you need to be able to move to solid food. So he's contrasting immature versus adult, childish versus perfect or complete. He's comparing those two. (laughs) So he wants them to know that that's what the primary issue is. He's not encouraging believers to become spiritually mature. That's going to come a little later. He's exhorting them to come to faith in Christ. And those who are truly saved have already embraced Jesus Christ and uh, as their Lord and Savior, and they understand the truth of why the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. And those folks, he says, they're already eating solid food. But for those of you who have not taken that step of faith, you're still over here on infant's milk. You need to move past infant's milk to solid food. As a matter of fact, remember he told them earlier, not only should you be on solid food, you should be teaching others how to move from milk to solid food. You can't get there yet because you haven't taken that first step. And he tells us through constant practice, see that, that the cause, who because of practice, through constant application of their understanding of the truths of Christ and the new covenant, they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So the author of Hebrews wants these professing Christians to apply themselves to knowing God as he has revealed himself in his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. He wants them to move beyond basic knowledge to maturity. He wants them to apply those things to their lives. He wants them to put them into practice. Listen. The first step of maturity for a true believer is that step of salvation. You cannot move past go until you're at that point. You can't, you can't just try to gather up knowledge without ever having surrendered your life to Christ. The second step is applying those truths to our lives. If you're just coming every Sunday filling your head with knowledge but then never applying those to your life, the author of Hebrews is saying... You're in danger. Your soul eternally is at stake here. You need to take that very seriously. You cannot move towards maturity, towards completion, towards adulthood until you embrace the truth of Jesus Christ in his word. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39. I'm paraphrasing here. He says, go and search the scriptures because in them you'll find me. In other words, as Paul explained in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word about Christ or literally a message about Christ. Once we've heard the gospel, then we have to apply his word to his lives, to to our lives. And these professing believers have heard the gospel again and again and again, but they have never heard applied it to their lives. They're spiritually lazy. They were content to know about Jesus. And unlike true believers, these professing believers are not able to discern between good and evil because if they had, they would have chosen Christ. Instead, 
they're not practicing their faith because they've not taken that first step of faith. They can't practice what they haven't believed. They're spiritual babies. Not because of what they did not know, but rather because of what they did know but didn't apply to their lives. How very sad, beloved, is it to come and hear the life-changing message of the gospel week after week after week and never, ever apply it to your life. Not only is it sad, it's dangerous. And not only is it dangerous, there are very dire, associ- there are very dire consequences associated with it. I'm going to close with a short little story here to illustrate the point the author has been making throughout our text this morning. There was a man who died extremely wealthy, and he included in his will this, ex- the, uh, this extensive collection of very valuable art pieces. And this, the man had a son who passed on before him, and that father loved his son. He loved him dearly, and he would have been his only heir. So soon after his death, there was a public auction that included every piece of valuable art that this man had collected throughout his lifetime. And people got wind of this and started, they attended from all over the world for the opportunity to secure some of these valuable pieces of art that this very wealthy man had collected in his life. And the room continued to swell and swell and swell until there were well over a thousand people crammed into the auction area. And the first item up for bid was a rather plain piece of art that was painted by the son who had passed away back when he was very younger. So you're in a room, and behind us are all these magnificent collector item pieces of art worth millions of dollars, and the first item for bid is a hand painting by the son, done at a very early age. Nothing like those valuable works of art. Well, the floor opens for bid, but not a single bid comes from any of those in the room. Not one. The auctioneer offered the painting again and again, but nobody moved a muscle. The people were simply not interested. They were really interested in all of the valuable pieces behind them. They didn't want this little basic piece of art. And what seemed like a very long time, a little old man shuffled to the front And as he approached the auctioneer, the auctioneer recognized him right away as a longtime servant of the man who had passed away. He reached in his pocket and gave all that he had to offer, a couple old crumpled up single dollar bills. The auctioneer quickly hit his gavel and said, sold. You could feel the excitement building that entire room as they anticipated, now we're going to get to the real valuables that are behind us. But as quickly as the auctioneer hit his gavel, much to their dismay, he hit the gavel again and said, the auction is over. And as the anger rose to a fevered pitch, the auctioneer explained, he said, it was the explicit will of the father that the painting done by his son should be auctioned first. And that whoever gets the painting of the son gets the entire collection. Because the father had decided well in advance that whoever loved his son and accepted him could not only have the work of the son, but all the benefits of the father as well. Beloved, that's how 
It works in salvation. The first step that must be taken is that first step of faith where you totally surrender all to the Son, where you trust in him and his atoning work on the cross. And once you do, you receive all the benefits of the Father as well. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day that you'd make that decision to move from milk to solid food, from immature to mature, from infant to adult. Don't be like those professing believers who've heard the gospel again and again, coming right to the very edge of salvation, but instead falling back to trust in something else that's just a mere shadow of true saving faith in Christ. Come to Jesus, my friends. Come to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the challenge from your word today. And Lord, a reminder of how easy it is to be deluded, to think that you're saved because you have a lot of knowledge about Jesus, or because you attend church each week, or because you you know your way around the Bible, or because you can list the, the four Gospels, whatever it is, Lord, that they've based their salvation on. And Lord, I too was one of them many years ago who believed I was saved but had never truly surrendered. I pray, Lord, if there's one in here today, like I was 17 years ago, that you would open their eyes, that the light would go on and they would understand their need for a Savior, that they would take that first step in maturing as a believer, that first step of surrendering all to you. And just like our illustration here at the end, Lord, they too receive all of the benefits of the Son and all of the benefits of the Father. Father, if there's one in our midst here today who's, you're working on their heart, Lord, you're drawing them to yourself that they would surrender. Become a child of yours. Begin that first step in growth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.